Wessex LNCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMCs podcast. My name is Dr Laura Edwards. I'm a GP and one of the joint CEOs of Wessex LMCs. And you are joining myself and Dr Will Howard. Hi, Will. Hello there. I'm one of the medical directors here at Wessex LMCs. Um, I'm going to start us today with the introduction of our newsletter um, as Laura and I whiz our way through the newsletter for you um, to save you reading it or to add to your reading of it whilst you're perhaps doing other things in your life. Um, So I'm going to talk you through our introduction, which today has been written by Julie Thornley, who is Wessex LMC's business manager. And we are thrilled to announce uh, our new website and event platform, which has been a labour of love for Wessex LMC's as an organisation as we give you a new website. Now, our old website has been used, I as a GP have been using Wessex LMC's website for many, many years as a resource. Um, And now we have a wonderful new website and we hope that it will be able to provide you with a much richer experience of all the information you need working as a GP or a practice manager or in a practice team. Not only is it a website, it's a booking system for all of our education and our lead events, as well as us being able to carry all the information about you uh, as a practitioner working in general practice. It's really important that you take a look at it, not only to make sure that you can see what it looks like and you recognize what our uh, new website does for you, but also so that you have the opportunity to now log into the website as a user. And in order to get the full benefit of the website, we'd really appreciate it if you could log in setting up a new username and a uh, password for you. And this will allow you to access different parts of the website and especially um, access our lead events make payments uh, and also record how you've used the website in the past including a bookmarking system so that you can really kind of learn about what you've done and it'll highlight what uh, education you've undertaken in the past is there anything you want to add to that laura Uh, I think just to say it looks really good. We hope it looks really modern. Again, it's just an upgrade. Uh, Websites and how they kind of look and how we expect them to look has changed, hasn't it, over the years. Uh, So we think this now looks really modern um, and we hope it's really easy to use and we hope that it's much easier to navigate around uh, and that it showcases all of the wonderful things that we do for you and for your practices. So um, do give us your feedback on it um, and we do hope that you uh, really enjoy it and get lots of benefit out of it. So, yeah. Uh, that's that's it really isn't it we're just uh, really pleased that it's arrived so uh, we hope you enjoy it too and um, that takes us on to our next item which is about a conference uh, of, of LMCs in England uh, which was a big event that happened on the 23rd and 24th of November uh, we mentioned that in our last newsletter about the fact we were sending representatives from each of our local medical committees to, to that uh, to represent you and that means standing up in front of quite a large crowd of people um, and uh, giving opinions of grassroots GPs and that's two others in the room so there's a debate and discussion but also GPC England is there so the top negotiators for our profession are in the room and listening to what is being said um, and our uh, LMC committee members did us proud they were absolutely fantastic they were really engaged and they spoke a lot um, to give your points of view of what it's like in the Wessex area um, so we were really uh, grateful to them and really proud of them for, for their work um, some of the things some of the highlights from there there was a big discussion 
time around the separation of acute and planned care, as is proposed in the Fuller Report as one of the kind of answers to what we might do. And that was rejected uh, by conference. They felt that that was really breaking up uh, that sanctity of continuity um, and uh, and just bad for the profession and bad for patients was was the sense of the discussion there. So, so that motion was um, uh, was. Uh, passed around it being overwhelmingly rejected as a concept and um, there was something around the salaried uh, GP job plan so again there is a model contract but actually the job plan for salaried GPs is not defined in that um, and so this was arguing for a an actual job plan to be specified um, and again there was there was, was quite a heated debate around that because people like the idea of the workload being controlled however it would be for only one part of the profession and that was the overriding argument that that um sort of was was run through uh, on the day was that actually we need to have this for the whole profession so that's partners salaries locums you know we all need to be uh, protected in our workload not just one part of the workforce so for that reason um the concept fell then there were debates about ARS staff again we know that ARS staff work really really hard and they do bring value to us however the bit of the jigsaw that has been missing right from the start is that as these members of staff transition into general practice and as they continue to work with us, they need supervision. Again, depending on the role, depends on what kind of supervision level, but that has never been factored in. The roles of GPs in supporting and supervising these staff has never been factored in either in time or money. Um, and it, it just isn't fair on anyone. Um, so that was that was brought up and, and again discussed as really kind of a fatal flaw in the current plan at the moment of trying to help general practice. There were some debates about working at scale. Uh, again, heated debates of some things work and some things don't. Um, but uh, there was a kind of overriding thing that people were really struggling in, in, in sharing estates. That's not a concept that is that is working or that people are interested in. Uh, highlights for us as at Wessex LMCs were that uh, two Dorset motions were selected for debate. They were chosen, which means they were sort of pulled out and actually chosen by the conference as being important. Um, and that was that PCSE uh, is not fit for purpose. Uh, and so that was that was hotly uh, that was passed. And uh, the second was around um, uh, nice guidance and us being held up against that and judged against that. When again, the reality is that we, we, we're in a climate that just doesn't allow us to do that and meet all of those uh, standards. So, um, so we put a motion forward saying that it's not fair. And so we shouldn't be held up against those in the current workforce and workload climate. And again, that was passed in full, which GPC England said was really, really helpful uh, for them to hear. Uh, there was a very passionate speech uh, from Katie Brownstainer, who's the GPC England uh, chair. She came up with a, a, a fabulous comment of stop robbing David to um, pay Goliath, uh, which is talking really about primary and secondary care. And again, the current ethos appears to be that um, we take money away from primary care. And again, we're seeing that in some of our areas at the moment that uh, things are getting cut. And it's in order to fund a giant bill that's been run up by secondary care. And it's not always easy to see that secondary care are going through the same level of pain as us. Um, and we have increased our productivity massively. Um, and again, the statistics and the data that's being put out shows that secondary care have not done the same thing. Um, so it just doesn't feel like a level, level playing field at the moment. 
Um, then that moves us onto the future of general practice. They have launched, so again, this is um, from GPC, England from the BNA in particular, um, have launched a survey. They, they want to hear from every GP. Um, and so uh, this is all GPs, all qualified GPs based in England. Um, and uh, there is a survey. The link is in our um, newsletter. You may also receive it via your social media channels. So again, I've seen it circulating on WhatsApp. Please spread it far and wide. Um, you, you, you need to respond to this. Uh, it's absolutely about what do we want in the future. General practice is at a watershed moment in England. And GPC England are going to be negotiating a new contract, really potentially very different to what we currently have, GMS contracts, which is how our services are. We need to know, they need to know, what do you want? What do we want as a profession at this point so that they can, they can negotiate for that? Um, following on from that, uh, then again, earlier in the year, GPC England, uh, so again, this is the National uh, Representative Committee, voted to prepare to ballot GPs on taking collective action if the government did not drastically improve the contract in the 2024-25 negotiations. So it follows smoothly on here. It, again, conference, so this is the England Conference of LMCs, voted to ballot the profession on the outcome of those future negotiations. You can only be balloted, you can only take part in action if you are a member of the BNA, which is the trade union. So now is the time if you would like to, you know, be able to take part in such action, you need to be part of the BMA. So there is, again, a call to make sure that you um, consider joining up if you're not already a member. And if you are already a member, then just make sure your details are accurate. Because again, if you're not recorded on their database in an accurate way of what your actual work is, you may not get included when you should be or be included when you shouldn't be, which can cause problems. So from one kind of working to uh, another, uh, Will, do you want to take us to the next bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, just going back to the BMA membership, it's really important to double check. If you're not sure, then check, because I think a lot of us out there may have forgotten if there's a direct debit going. So the BMA now, they are calling to arms, if you like. And so don't forget, have a look, have a check if you are a member. And if you are not, then really think hard about whether it's worth investing to join up to support the profession and your future in the profession. Um, so the next part... Yeah, it is a crucial time. And, and and this feeds into the next part. So in Dr. Katie Bramall-Stainer's keynote speech at the same conference as Laura was alluding to earlier, and um, she drew attention to funding and where funding is landing in primary care. Um, and as we have all seen over the last four and a half, almost five years now, there's been huge investment in ours staff across primary care to support the delivery um, of care to our patients. Um, and that was uh, getting on for £1.4 billion of new investment in primary care. But that has been restricted to very specific types of healthcare professionals. Um, and Katie Bramall-Stainer made mention of the fact that that could have been spent on 14,000 GPs across the country. We don't want to, um, we want to make sure that we support all people working in primary care. And I think most practices who have our staff working them really value the contribution that ours staff make. Um, but um, one of the ways in which the ours teams have been funded in primary care has potentially taken away funding from the bottom line of how practices 
is a run. Um, and she has highlighted that that is causing a cash flow crisis in primary care that's then potentially leading to locum GPs finding that they're unable to find work as practices are looking at other ways to save money. So there's lots of staff that are getting uh, income through the R's scheme, through the primary care network enhanced service, but that is potentially contributing to the difficulty that locums are having in finding jobs. And uh, yeah, it's it's an important one then because that moves forward, as we mentioned earlier about the BMA and potential future balance for primary care. The next part of the newsletter talks about junior doctor strikes. So these are our, new, our junior doctor colleagues working uh, in hospitals and in community teams and also those working in practices, um, in training in practices. Um, four, five more weeks of talks between junior doctors in England and the government have led to um, a lack of agreement. And so the pay remains remains in dispute for junior doctors and the government and as such junior doctors committee has unanimously voted for further strike dates in December and January um, and it's worth pointing out to practice to be aware that the next dates are for three days in December and six days in January there'll be a full walkout from 7am on Wednesday the 20th of December to 7am on Saturday the 23rd of December followed by a six-day full walkout from 7 a.m. on Wednesday, the 3rd of January, 2024, to 7 a.m. on Tuesday, the 9th of January, which will be a challenge for hospitals, but it's also worth highlighting the junior doctors working in our practices in training, and that can have an impact potentially on your practices. So just to make you aware of that, Laura. Thank you. Um, so that takes us on to uh, mandatory training. And we're just touching again on the Oliver McGowan mandatory training on learning disability and autism. Uh, so this is one of those things that has landed from nationally. Um, and again, it's the, it's the how does it actually practically work? That is causing now a lot of confusion on the ground. Um, they've done a, a consultation, DHSC, uh, so that's the Department of Health and Social Care, just done a consultation about the implementation, which feels a little bit <laughs> late, doesn't it, when they brought in a law. Um, but uh, I think everyone's beginning to realise how, how big this is and how much frontline staff time it will take away. Um, it's really important, so it's, it's trying to balance this, but it, it's 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 doing something really important that takes time whilst we're in a workforce and workload crisis and patient demands really high. So lots of things to balance. Um, so they have looked at that. But meanwhile, the law is there and CQC are kind of have uh, got this on their radar. So again, I think practices are sat there saying, what do we actually do right now? So, so there is a requirement there. Um, uh, and at the moment, uh, we've got, again, there's two levels to the training, there's tier one and tier two, uh, and we think there's particularly a bottleneck around tier two. So there are specific requirements of how it should be done and uh, and who should do it in terms of it needs to involve certain um, people, including a person with learning disabilities or autism as part of the faculty, part of the training team. Um, and we're not sure that that, that is all ready yet uh, to go. And uh, within the specifications, it did talk about that you should have the tier one and tier two within six months of each other. Well, if there isn't any tier two available, it starts getting you into to difficulty whether you should start tier one or not. So at the moment, we're saying um, that, that really we should be looking to ICBs really to help with this um, and that they will be looking to uh, make sure that training is in place. So um, at the moment, uh, wait and see what happens as an outcome of this consultation. And um, again, always uh, looking to um, 
if you are going to move on this, then check that the provider is providing something in in line with the tier one. So if you are doing that, you haven't sort of you haven't got to do it again uh, later. Um, and you are allowed to use. So there is Oliver McGowan training, but it isn't mandated. It isn't doesn't have to be that. Um, so just check, as we said, if you do go with somebody else, then that it is at the same level as that. Um, we've got some podcasts which, whilst they aren't at that level show willing at least um that you are trying to provide some education whilst there's a kind of gap and it's all a bit uncertain uh, around that we've got podcasts so do have a look for those we've got one around learning disabilities and one around autism we don't pretend they're absolutely perfect they are again stepping into this space and and there's something in that space um, and cqc have published some advice to practices as well around that training and the link is in our newsletter Excellent. Thanks, Laura. It's it's a really difficult subject and practice of feeling torn between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, what do we do versus really what are we being told to do? How much time have we got to actually do it when we're being pulled to do really important other stuff alongside yeah. this really important stuff? It's exactly. all very important stuff. So it's a, a tough choice. So I and think the, the bit I, time. <laughs> absolutely. I think for me, the big part of that is having a look at CQC's advice and following it as close as you can and, and demonstrating so that if CQC do turn up on your door, door, doorstep, you have demonstrated that you've done the best you can given this difficult set of circumstances and if you're unsure please talk to us that's the other bit that, that would say so i'm going to move us on to a, a few little vaccination updates so there's some shingles technical advice and um, there's some new guidance that has been published by nhs england about and um, the cohorts and the clinical codes required to record shingles vaccination events and how payments will then follow the work that is being done and um, so we just wanted to make sure anyone who's a vaccination lead within your practice is aware of that second one is the mmr catch-up campaign again nhs england has confirmed the vaccination catch-up campaign along with coding that uh, should be used and has set out a number of actions for practices to support the campaign um, and ensure that they get a fee for each vaccination that they do in that catch-up campaign and then the third piece of vaccination news um, again is quite an important one because this is live now for practice delivering flu vaccines um astrazeneca um, have produced uh, one of the vaccines that we're using this year and um, the fluens tetra uh, vaccine and they have found that there is an error on the expiry dates of a number of batches that they have released um, and it actually means that the printed expiry date on the actual vaccination vials and, and syringes themselves is actually slightly too long. So for example, one of them has a printed expiry date of the 28th of December, and actually its real expiry date should be the 23rd of December. Um, within the newsletter, there are the batch numbers that are affected, the dates when the uh, amended expiry date should be corrected to. Um, if we would ask you to check and make sure you don't have any of those um, batch numbers. And if you do discuss it with your vaccination lead at the ICB, um, but also there's contact details of how to get hold of AstraZeneca and the action plan they will undertake as a result of it to support you and take those vaccinations off your hands. Um, but uh, most importantly is follow the detail within it. And it's got all the links and the phone numbers you might need if you're unfortunate enough to have one of those batches Laura, GP pressures and workforce data. 
Yeah, so again, uh, unfortunately, not not been cured on either of those yet. So this is just the latest set of data that's come out. Uh, so we, uh, again, start, you know, all the politicians always say, oh, we're going to train some more GPs and it'll be fine. Uh, if we state the baseline of September 2015, they're still behind the baseline. So despite all the promises of more GPs, we're still we're 2062 less than when they started saying that we were going to have some more. Uh, so that's not good. Um, and uh, we're saying they're also saying that the number of GP practices is falling. Again, we think that's mainly uh, because of mergers, um, but there's a, there's a trend of closures as well there. Um, so that's not good. Uh, we do have more patients than ever, uh, which I guess could be seen as good. If we were in any other industry, it probably would. We'd have a bigger client base, but in ours, because we're struggling with workforce um, and workload, it, it's not necessarily uh, quite received with such uh, smiles. But we have 63 million patients registered with practices in England. So that's now an average of nearly 10,000, but 9,954, which is a massive jump. I'm sure that not that long ago, it was around 6,500 per practice so it's it's a massive jump and we can see that's a reflection of both the increase in population but also the trend of mergers to make bigger practices um so the average full-time gp is now responsible for 2300 patients which is 362 more than 2015 uh, so that's over 10 percent increase which again you know patients have got more complex rather than less complex so again that is why we're feeling uh, under pressure there um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's a really good reminder, that one, isn't it? And although we probably feel like we found, sound like a stuck record with this type of information, because it's not the first time Laura and I have said this in a in one of these verbalised newsletters, but the pressures aren't going away. But actually, that's the role of the LMC is to take this type of thing and go away and really put pressure on those that are trying to push work towards us and help them understand the pressure that's happening on a day-to-day basis. Sorry, Laura. Absolutely. And I think, again, just to challenge you, if you're listening, you know, you may know this. The guy be like, you will have said something similar. Um, do your PPG know this? Uh, are your patients aware? Because I'm not I'm not sure the general public are aware of this. And actually, if you knew that the person that you're seeing has 10% more people that they're supposed to look after uh, than they did a few years ago, then actually it would explain why it's that little bit harder to see them. Uh, so, again, there's a, there's a role of, of spreading this information and understanding of, of why why things are hard right now. Um, but moving on, moving on to innovation. Uh, so um, the BMA have uh, published a set of case studies uh, looking at HEP providers in England who've got some innovative models uh, in, around all sorts of different things. So chronic disease management and uh, improving access. Again, the BMA are really clear uh, that there is no one size fits all approach to these things. Again, they're really mindful that all practices run differently, have different populations of different sizes, you know, all those different factors that should come into play. Um, so uh, they're, they're trying to help, though, in, in getting us to think uh, differently around that. So do have a little look at those. Um, and again, f- featuring on innovation, we've got improvement. There is the general practice improvement program as well. Again, if you've not heard of that, have a little look. There is access to that. They've got uh, some resources that kind of sign up to are much more intense, but they also have some stuff that are kind of webinars and, and take them as you need them type resources. Um, and uh, we've got a podcast that we've just done with somebody who's done one of these uh, and been through it. Uh, so we've got um, Amelia, uh, who has kindly uh, shared her um, experience. She's the operational service lead at Malmesbury Primary Care Centre. Uh, so she's talked to Michelle from our team. Um, so do have a little look at that. And also we've got the links in there to the General Practice Improvement Programme if you wanted to find out a little bit more. So we're Excellent. 
Excellent. Yeah, those are the kind of real little snippets that make it real and kind of help you see how it might work yourself in general practice um, and how it works in general practice at the moment uh, uh, brings us on to the next point. A survey on how to prevent and reduce violence towards NHS staff. And um, this is a survey that's being undertaken by NHS employers and the Social Partnership Forum. One of the most upsetting things that I ever come across at work is when patients are aggressive and, and really upset our, our teams at the front line. I, I think that every one of us takes that home with us it's a really horrible thing to happen in a practice and should never happen um, and so trying to recognize the causes for it and trying to put in place solutions for it requires uh, the system to understand more about it and this is your opportunity to take a survey to help the system understand why it might be happening and what action can be taken to reduce violence towards NHS staff. So this is a deadline survey noting that it closes on the 22nd of December. So if you have a few spare minutes, please click on it if you want to have an influence on how things might change in the future to reduce violence towards NHS staff, violence in your practice and aggression in the practice. Yeah, I reading the questions briefly again. Classically, they do feel a little bit aimed at very big organisations. Maybe should I dare I say it, secondary care rather than primary care? But again, that's all the more reason why we need to respond to that because actually we're seeing it, aren't we, in our practices um, with yeah the people people's tempers being very high at the moment. So we definitely need to feed in because our staff are just as valued and valuable as, as, as staff elsewhere across the NHS. So, um, right, that brings us to uh, some of our events, just a little highlights. Um, so do you struggle with patient conversations? Uh, this is particularly, I think, focused on those ones where um, you've got people with lifelong progressive conditions. And actually, um, there can be, and again, secondary care classic, you do this, and this is where we do need to um, step in in primary care and, and be brave and sometimes say to people, each little intervention that we do there is actually a longer story here are you aware of that which is quite difficult to say because it's always nice to give solutions so another inhaler or another tablet uh, but sometimes there's a conversation to be had of do you understand the kind of bigger picture of your condition or disease and, and how things might progress and what that looks like um, so that those are difficult conversations to have uh, so we've got a, a workshop looking at that dedicated um, and that's at lunchtime and then uh, onto something perhaps a little bit kind of drier but equally important which is information governance uh, one of those things that will uh, occasionally cause sleepless nights uh, particularly to practice managers and this is one of those uh, touch base things of you've been doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it do you want to stand back and go, am I doing it right? Have we got everything? Am I covering everything? Have I got my eyes open and my radar switched on to all the things that I need to be thinking around, around information governance? Um, and so we've got a fundamentals of information governance there, which hopefully you would come along to and then say, yes, um, sorted and it's all covered but it would give you that sense of reassurance in this world where information governance is really important so that's at the end of January so do have a look at that and that brings us to the end of our newsletter today um, so we hope that you've enjoyed it and you feel uh, more up to date um, as we said pretty crucial time for the profession and um, just to remind you that uh, we will be having elections coming up soon to join our committees and um, not just yet we'll be coming out uh, you We'll see kind of towards the end of this year early next year 
But um, do have a think if you would like to join the LMC committees, if this is something that you're interested in and you do have opinions about things, we want to know. We want to know uh, what it's like uh, out there um, in on the front line in those clinics. Um, what does it feel like in your practice? Uh, Will and I both still work as GPs so we can bring our perspective from our practices and we talk to lots and lots of people all the time uh, to make sure, but we, we need our committees um, to bring the experience from across all of our areas. So if that's you, I'm just sowing that little seed that you may look out for our emails. Um, and again, through our um, website, make sure that you've got uh, your details up to date with us again, so that you get invited to take part, um, either stand or vote in elections that are relevant to you. So on that note, uh, we will leave you. We hope you have a great week. Uh, take care of yourselves out there. And we hope to have you again soon on one of our podcasts. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.